Okay, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2? Uh, it was a few weeks ago now, we were in Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to find it. As I said last time, it's perfectly legitimate to use the contents page when you're not quite sure when that very small minor prophet book is. Um, or you can look at the screen. Or I guess you can just use an app. That's easier. Uh, we were in uh, Habakkuk chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. We are now in Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going to read that. Uh, read that all. Here we go. So Habakkuk chapter 2 from verse 1 says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods, makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim, because you have plundered many peoples. The peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so they, he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup of the Lord's right hand is coming round to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you've shed man's blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him. Now, when we were in 
Habakkuk chapter 1. We spent time with the complaining prophet. The prophet was complaining. The prophet was grieving. The prophet was questioning. When we complain, when we have uh, questions uh, or grief in our hearts, we might ask the questions that he asked, such as, how long, God? And why? Why is this happening? And the Bible equips us to pray in moments when we have questions like that. It's, it's called lamenting. It's when we're calling out to God, knowing our helplessness and desperation, saying, God, only you can help, only you can do something. And Habakkuk has been praying like that for a while. He's been coming before God uh, during dark times, times when the nation was really crumbling and falling apart, times when he was just confronted over and over again by the violence and injustice in God's kingdom, in amongst God's, uh, God's people. And the Bible equips us to pray when we're desperate. The Bible equips us to pray when we're helpless. The Bible equips us to pray when we have a complaint and when, we are, when we're burdened. And we looked last time at how to complain well to actually make sure that we come before God. It's easy sometimes to tell other people what our complaint is, what the problem is, what our questions are. But actually we looked at making sure we're bringing them to God as our first port of call, not, not as our last resort. And when we come before God, to do so with, with honest questions, to do so finding, finding solid ground in the truth. We might still have questions, but Habakkuk was able to say, in effect, in the midst of dark times, when I don't have all the answers quite yet, at least there's solid ground here. I've learned what God is like. I know who He is. And he's reminding himself of, of the solid ground of truth on which he can uh, take his stand. Are we learning to lament? The Bible teaches us to l lament as well as to celebrate. Lamenting shouldn't be uh, mistaken for unbelief. It's, uh, because I believe God, I'm bringing my complaint to him. That may be uh, because of a season of great personal trial and suffering. It, it could be out of great concern for a whole nation, for, for a whole people. So that's chapter 1. As we head into chapter 2, we realize whilst Habakkuk started in that mode of complaining, that isn't where he stayed the whole time. He complained, and then he says, the only words that come, as it were, come from his mouth in chapter 2 are verse 1. That's Habakkuk speaking. The rest of the chapter is Habakkuk listening. So what does he say? He says, I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Even in his lament, even in his pain, even when he was puzzled, he said, I'm going to do ordinary life by faith, believing that God is going to answer me. There is an answer and God will speak. I, I believe that. Now, we don't know for how long Habakkuk was waiting. But that was his faith. I believe God. I believe he has an answer. 
And I believe at some point when it pleases him and it's right, I will hear it. I will hear God answer my question. And are we, are we learning to, to watch and wait and believe God in those moments, in those kind of seasons? Are we, are we learning to complain? Well, if we are learning to complain well, are we then learning to listen? Uh, sometimes this is what can happen when we're in a dark time. When we, at the very point we feel completely overwhelmed and desperate, we come to God. How long? Why? And then we feel a little bit unburdened and we get back to ordinary life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you heard me. And then we kind of crack on with life. And then when we feel overwhelmed again, we think, right, but God, how long? Why? I've, had to, I've mentioned this before, Lord. I'm going to leave it with you. Right, I've got other things to get on with. And we can think that the Lord has just put us on hold. Beep. Your call is important to us. But you are 25th in line. Today we are experiencing a high volume. <laughs> Thanks very much. We will get back to you. And then you can press an option. Sometimes they say, you can stay on hold... Or um, you can opt for callback. Uh, when, when, when someone from the call center is free, they'll ring you back. Well, that's quite convenient, isn't it? Because then I can just get on with everything, forget about my utilities bill or my mobile phone contracts or whatever, and just I can get on with life. And maybe we can think of prayer in that way. God, call me back when you're ready. I've got other stuff to get on with. Rather than... I'm learning to wait. I, by faith, it's not passive. It's not, oh, he's never really going to get back to me, is it? So I'll just resign myself to his silence. It's not, Lord, I believe you're going to respond. I'm going to spend time watching and waiting. I'm going to spend time in your word. We could think that God has put us on hold when actually it's the other way around. We've put him on hold because we've got other things to do. We'll come back to him when we want to reiterate the complaint rather than, Lord, I'm here. I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. I want, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to trust that things are going to become more clear to me um, than they are right now. So Habakkuk learned to listen and as well as learning to lament, we need to learn to listen. When Habakkuk listened, he heard chapter 2. He, heard, he, heard, he believed that God was going to respond. And God spoke. And in many ways, the chapter makes for pretty grim reading. But this is good news. We're going to go through it. What did Habakkuk hear? What did Habakkuk listen to? What changed Habakkuk? Habakkuk is not just staying in the same place. God is taking him along. This is what the Lord spoke. And this is what Habakkuk heard. Firstly, Habakkuk, I want you to know, God is in control of everything. God is in control of absolutely everything. Everything. You see it in, in verse 2 and 3. The Lord replied, write down the revelation, this book. Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. 
for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, though you can have to wait for a bit, Habakkuk, it will certainly come and will not delay. When we're facing uncertainties, when we are puzzled, when life doesn't make sense, when we have questions that don't have answers quite yet, it can be appealing to turn to experts. Somebody can tell me what's going, what's going to happen. And there are lots of voices at the moment in the midst of the uncertainty that's facing this country. Experts, we can listen to them. Journalists, we could listen to them. Politicians, we can listen to them. In a way, we can try and listen to the stock market and what's happening there. But actually, at the moment, they're all saying, we don't know. Nobody knows. How can anybody know what's going, what's going to happen? Only God can ever speak with absolute certainty about the future. Nobody else can. And now we're realising that afresh right now in the midst of this nation. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But God isn't like hedging his bets in uncertainty. Here's, here's what I'm trying to do, folks. Here's what I'm hoping to bring about. He says, there's an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It, uh, though it linger, it, it's not going to prove false. It will certainly come. God is in control. God knows exactly what's going to happen. God knows exactly when it's going to happen. And if you were to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, just cutting in there, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, we read this. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We believe in a God who, yeah, uh, I've interrupted myself. How many? I just, I'm not puzzled by the verse, I just can't work out grammatically how to finish the sentence I just started. God has a plan. God is the one who works out everything to conform with the purpose of his will that's wrapped up in that plan. Notice the word everything. Everything working out according to his plan. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, all history is being directed by God in order to bring his own purpose with respect to the kingdom to pass. So with respect to the kingdom... God purposed to raise up the Babylonians with purpose. He was going to correct his people. He was responding to their unbelief and ungodliness. It was part of his plan. And later on, in accordance with his plan, what he's saying here now in chapter 2 is Habakkuk, by the way, there's going to be a bit of a wait, but I will deal with them. I will deal with the Babylonians. They will not escape justice. It can seem like the wicked just 
get away with doing whatever they want. But let me tell you with certainty about the end of the matter. Let me tell you with certainty what's going to happen. They are going to meet with my justice. Nothing escapes my attention. That fearsome and powerful kingdom will come crushing down. He speaks with certainty about everything. We are living in a time of great uncertainty. Unprecedented events. No nation has ever tried to leave the EU. Now, the EU hasn't existed forever, obviously. But nobody's tried to leave it. So we're in uncharted territory as a nation. And quite frankly, nobody does know what's uh, going to happen. And sometimes when we face things that are unprecedented in our own lifetime or in the history of the whole world, but haven't, it hasn't quite happened like this before, we, we can think we're facing something completely new. But this isn't completely new. This is not the first time in history that believers have faced total, you know, more or less total uncertainty. What's going to happen to our nation? Things have been roughly the same, quite relatively secure for so long. What's going to happen now? Well, a very brief history lesson. In the 1930s, there was a Tory prime minister, probably worked quite hard, and since serving in that office, has perhaps not been brilliantly well thought of. And that prime minister travelled to Europe to meet with the leaders of other nations to try to forge an agreement that would avoid disaster. Actually, that prime minister came back on a, on a plane, landed on the tarmac, and waved the signed agreement in his hand. Peace for our time. Consensus, opinion at the time, was that this was, a, this was successful. Disaster would be averted. The continent, the world, wouldn't go to war. So sometimes we can put our faith in the outcome we most hope for when actually our faith needs to be in the God who is working out all things in accordance with his plan and purpose. We can think maybe our God is kind of nervously trying to work things out for good. As though, as though God is in control and he's certainly in control of like the major spiritual events of the whole of history. So God decided at just the right time to send Jesus as a baby. He decided at just the right time Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again to life. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Yeah, God knows the right time. The church is born. And God knows when Jesus will come back. And there might be some other things, like major events in the intervening years. God knows, right, that's going to happen. But at the, rest, the rest of the time, he's like just trying to massage events. I, I didn't know that was going to happen either, we might think of God. Well, that took me by surprise as well. I mean, I did create the world, you're right. And I understand it completely. But I kind of set it up just to keep ticking along, and sometimes it goes wrong. Um, so I had no idea about that tsunami. 
I didn't see that coming either. I, I had no idea about that evil. I had no idea that, that they've just made some bad choices. I was hoping they'd go the other way, but they've chosen a civil war. Well, you know, I'll try and work that together for good. I'll try and incorporate that. We might think, well, it's taking the Lord a jolly long time to return. Well, that's because he's got so much to try and work out. Before It's like the celebrity chef. Um, I, probably when I should have been revising in days gone by, um, uh, there was this program, game show, where the contestant would bring a certain number of ingredients. Yeah? Come on. Um, those would be presented to the celebrity chef who we were led to believe had no prior knowledge of what those ingredients would be. And they, the celebrity chef, with only 20 minutes on the clock, had to incorporate them into a meal. And, it, um, uh, and we might think of the Lord as though he's taken by surprise. Ah, what's the first ingredient? Grapefruit. It has its place, doesn't it? I know how to cut it in half and have it for breakfast. What else can you do with a grapefruit? But the celebrity chef thinks, oh, okay, yes. Some crazy salad. I don't know. So grapefruit, yeah, we can work with that. Pick something else out. Oh, classic yellow mustard. This is looking tricky. But the celebrity chef might just about be able to manage it. Pick something else out. Bubble bath. Now, that is really tricky. <laughs> but... With 20 minutes on the clock, the celebrity chef can crazily muster something up and go, ta-da, at the end. Whew, just about made it. Or maybe, you know, just give me a little bit more time. I, I don't know what to do with this. Um, the Lord isn't nervously improvising off the back of what's taken him by surprise. He is in control of everything. He understands everything, and everything is being worked out to conform with the purpose of his will. That's what Habakkuk was hearing when the Lord spoke. You might have to wait, but this is what will happen. It will certainly happen. It will not prove false. Um, and and that, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter writes, the Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think, oh, how long do we have to wait, Jesus, until you return? How long? What, how long until you intervene? We think, oh, Lord, you're slow sometimes, aren't you? How long am I going to have to pray this? The Lord has purpose. He's not slow and trying to catch up if only he could. The Lord's always on time. The Lord knows what he's doing in time. He's not slow. He is patient. The purpose is he desires people to be saved. So he wants people to have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. So of course he didn't come back straight away, having ascended to heaven, to take a few thousand people to glory. He wants millions so he's patient. So he's, he's, he's not improvising. He's not making it up as he goes along. He's in control of everything. He's completely sovereign. What else did Habakkuk hear when he listened to the Lord? Habakkuk heard there are two ways to live. 
basically, there are only two ways to live, and we can only choose one of them. And one of those ways, we live by faith. And if you like, that's uh, the motto that I put out before. Uh, some of the writers to the, of the New Testament pick this up. It could be described as Habakkuk summarizing the Bible in three words. The righteous live by faith. Righteous live faith. We can spin that around to understand it and say, those who live by faith are counted as righteous. And if you want an example, we can turn to Abraham. Abraham, a man who lived by faith. The alternative to living by faith is to live by unbelief. And at different times, that could be explained in different ways. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul would say, we, don't, we live by faith, not by sight. Either I believe God and I believe his word, or I believe my eyes and what they tell me. Else we might consider that we live by faith or we live by reason. I will live by what I can process, why what I can understand. I don't understand, Lord, why I've had to go through this, why we've had to endure this pain, but I'm going to live by faith in the Word of God. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews, when he picks this verse up, he says, the righteous live by faith, so don't shrink back. There are two options, living by faith or shrinking back. And sometimes it's when we encounter dark times, personally or nationally, that we're faced with the choice again. You think when, you, when you were saved, you made that choice. I'm living by faith in the Word of God. And sometimes we come up against different challenges and different hardships through life. We've, almost we determine again, which way am I going to live now? 15-year-old me said faith. The 20-year-old me said faith. 25-year-old me said faith. 35-year-old me. What do we say? And sometimes that, that's what happens. We can, we can live by faith and then start subtly turning back round. Now, I gave you the example, Abraham, of a man who lived by faith. Age 75, he heard God's word to him. Abraham. Leave your father's household. Come to the land that I will show you. And God's word came to him on a number of occasions. God's word promised him, I will make you into a great nation. That will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. On another occasion, Abraham's got a complaint. Well, you said that, Lord. But I don't have a son. I don't have any children. How can I be, how can I become... Uh, a great nation that blesses other nations without any offspring at all. And the Lord just took him outside and said, look up at the stars, count them if you can. You'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Countless. And then what does it say? Abraham, this is chapter 15 of Genesis, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was righteous because he took God at his word. That was Abraham's bottom line. 
Now, we can think sometimes when we look back, oh, but it would have been simpler for him. In those days, I'm sure it was just more straightforward. Life is so complicated now. But remember, we have the complete Word of God. Before this was all written down, Abraham had a couple of sentences every few years. God spoke. God spoke again. God spoke when he was 75. He had his son, Isaac, when he was 100. That's 25 years of thinking, but God said. God said, you don't have anything yet, Abraham. If he'd lived by sight, he said, well, I don't have any land. I don't have any kids. So how can God's word come true? But he lived by faith. He considered him faithful who gave the promise. What, else, what did he have to go on? Did he have any encouragement? He's getting older. Sarah is getting older. And he had no children and no land. How am I going to live? What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe my eyes? Or am I going to believe God's word? And he chose to believe God's word. Just the wonderful thing about seeing people get baptized, or one of the wonderful things about it, obviously it's happened a couple of weeks ago, five people just sharing their story of what had led them to this point. And all, this, all of them are encouraging, but there's two young guys basically briefly stand up and says, I'm getting baptized because the Word of God says, because the Word of God says, because the Word of God says. You think, I am staking my life on the Word of God. Come what may, I'm choosing to believe God's Word. I don't know how the details of my life are going to work out, but I'm going to live by faith, not by sight. And maybe we could ask more questions and say, well, why do you believe God's Word? And I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from doing their homework about how the Bible was put together and the canon of Scripture and so on. Ultimately, we believe God's Word because the Bible says. Bottom line, Faith isn't always easy, but it is simple. God has spoken, and I believe him. Unbelief can become really complicated. All these different voices, all these different influences. I'm not sure, what can I imagine happening? We live by faith. Now, faith can be tested, and often is. It was tested for Abraham. When God said, Take your one and only son up that mountain and sacrifice him to me. Another test. Another time. How am I going to live now? Am I going to shrink back? Am I going to believe God? And he trusted the Lord. And he followed the Lord. I don't understand why I had to go through that, Lord. We might say when we shrink back. I trust in your word, Lord. Trusting what you've said. I believe you. Habakkuk getting tested. You promised there would one day be this amazing king. From David's line, where is he? Why are we facing all this mess as a nation? But I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you for the outcome. Early believers responding to the gospel. Staking everything on the word of God. Because in the Roman Empire, they would be challenged. You have to say that Caesar is Lord. By faith, I'm not going to. And so you've got believers maybe thinking they've given their life to Christ. But life is hard in the Roman Empire. And Jesus hasn't returned yet. This isn't quite working out how they thought, perhaps. But 
Even if it costs me my life, by faith, I'm believing his word. Jesus is Lord. I'm not saying Caesar is Lord. And you get this with Abraham then. This, this sense of just staking everything on the word of God. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, faith means taking the bare word of God and acting upon it because it is the word of God. And this is the verdict in, in Hebrews, in that f- famous chapter on faith. In chapter 11, Abraham is described in these terms, by faith, Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Later on, verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Does your faith enable you to say, even though? Even though, I'm not sure what will happen to my job, even though we've gone through a time of great suffering, even though I have my questions, even though I'm staking my life on the word of God, my bottom line is God is true. God's word is faithful. That's what I believe. Nobody shrinks back in just a moment. I don't think you'd find somebody pushing through by faith, living by faith, all of a sudden switching around 180 degrees. I think sometimes it, it hap- if it happens, it happens subtly. A confidence in God's word just gets a little bit eroded, starts to shrink back from God. Maybe it's in the midst of disappointment, maybe hardship, unanswered questions. What do you do? Start to shrink back, rejecting God's word. Downplaying God's word. Look, we hear so many voices, so many expert opinions, so much unbelief. It's only this that builds faith. So if we're not waiting on the Lord, if we're not listening to his word, then we will hear so much rubbish and unbelief. We, will be dra- we can be, it's possible to be, turned by doubt now we will have times of doubt we'll have questions we'll have seasons of testing and sometimes that's what happens somebody comes through a time of great suffering but what it has done as the word of god itself indicates it strengthened them somehow when they come through the other side that's what god's word says Enduring trials, because your faith will be tested. Your faith gets tested so that we might grow in maturity. Character develops. Hope develops. It doesn't disappoint us. God is completing his work. He has purpose. Even if that purpose is painful. Don't shrink back. If you think it's more complicated, I'll just say it more starkly. Faith or unbelief? Which way? What is your bottom line? Is God in control of everything? Does God have a plan for this nation? Does God have a plan for your life? Will he work that out for good? Does he love you? Why? Because... 
Yeah, because he says so. We, we can get subtly drawn away into, I, I believe my feelings. I believe my fear. I believe those other voices. And the Bible comes and just smacks us on the face a little bit sometimes. says, what's God said? What does God say? Stake all on him. This, Habakkuk heard something else as well. Habakkuk heard of God's ultimate triumph. God will triumph and all evil will be defeated. Actually, that's most of the chapter. Again, he's speaking absolute certainty. This is what will happen. This will happen to the Babylonians. Actually, it will happen to all the wicked. There's these five woes pronounced over the Babylonian Empire. No one in Habakkuk's day was predicting Babylon's downfall. They were the powerhouse. They were the untouchable. They were the, the global empire of the day. And they were threatening, uh, and they were in control. They were in charge. But this speaks here. Actually, poetically, it's the people who've been under their oppression being rising up and singing a taunt, in effect. Woe to you. Five times, woe to you. The way you've piled up possessions for yourself and squashed other people. The way you've built your own house, your own realm at the expense of others. The way you've built a whole city on crime. The way that you've, as it were, almost seen to offer hospitality to people, but just to use and abuse them so that you can expose them for your own pleasure. And woe to you for making up your own God and thinking that it has life and thinking that it can teach. It's all coming back to you. The work of your own hands, like the beams of the woodwork, will say you're getting what you deserve. Justice is coming. You're now going to tremble. You're now going to experience all that which you forced others into. It's strong words speaking of their end. It's good news, actually. Nothing escapes God's justice. Nothing escapes God's attention. It, justice will be done. And it's put positively as well in verse uh, 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Habakkuk's day, the earth seems just to be filled with violence. And God's saying, I'm going to judge it all. Not just the Babylonian version. All wickedness, all violence, all injustice will meet my judgment. And in the end, there will be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth filled with people knowing how glorious God is. Total peace for those living by faith. The whole world saturated, not just with theory, but real, really knowing God's goodness. So I will deal with the Babylonians, the Lord 
says, the wicked might seem to succeed and thrive in the short term, but in the end, judgment will come. Justice will be done. The judge can't be bribed. There will be no escape. All the evidence collected, every verdict right on. Law just says, right on the day of judgment, let me just take you back to the year 580 BC. Let's revisit those events from my perspective. And if you see here in the very final verse, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. See how God has been listening to Habakkuk? One of Habakkuk's questions was, Why are you silent? In effect, whilst the wicked get away with all that they're doing. Why are you silent? And the Lord responds, let all the earth be silent before me. On that day, there will be no arguments. No one will be able to say, but you missed a bit, Lord. No one will be able to say, you've misunderstood No one will be asking those questions. Why are you so idle? Why did this have to happen? How long, O Lord? Well, that question will be taken out straight away, won't it? On that day. Isn't that good news? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that also slightly scary? When we read through that, think, well, where... I'm not from Babylon. But how do I treat my neighbors? How am I kind of building my security? Am I squashing others? Am I getting ahead by pushing others back? The only way to live is by faith. The only way to be righteous is say, God, I'm just going to take you at your word. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I confess that he is Lord and that he rose again and that therefore, by faith, like Abraham, I can be counted righteous. That's my only hope. That's the only basis on which we'll stand before him on that day. So, living by faith in dark times, this is how Habakkuk does it. And he was prepared to listen he was prepared to wait and hear God I do pray that the Lord would help us bring painful questions before him but let's not put him on hold let's find his word and find faith in it let's trust God for every detail, as well as the the final outcome. In Jesus' name.